Welcome, everyone. How goes it? Welcome to another episode of the Justice Revolution. I am your host, James the Patriot. Um, so my co-hosts are not here. <laughs> I'm, I'm not here. sure what happened to Justice. Uh, um, Erica said she's going to join us in a little bit, but I have my fill-in host, Crash, the constitutional peasant. I love that, by the way. Crash, welcome. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> It's been a while since we've had you on. We got to have you on more frequently because I, I I love the fire you bring to our show. So, um, and guys, we have with us today our guest for today, Captain Cross. Um, if you want to call it that, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, Captain, welcome. How are you? Good, very very well. Thank you very much for asking. How are you, James? We haven't Doing talked well. in a while, so here we go. Yeah, it's been a little while. We've we've got we've got some really good updates for you, you guys. As you if you remember. We had the captain on, I want to say two or three months ago, uh, maybe not quite that long ago, talking about his lawsuit against um, American Airlines, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and it was surrounding the um, mandatory jabs, okay? So that's, that's what we're going to talk about with him. Um, but before we get to the captain, I have a few things I'd like to share with you all, um, some updates on, on a few things. Um, if you remember from our show uh, from last week, we um, our show from last week, we I, I was talking about how I had filed my property tax lawsuit, and I was waiting for an answer. And um, I had told everybody that I had spoken to the attorneys. They had they said that they planned on filing a motion to dismiss. Well, they did file the motion to dismiss uh, at about fifteen minutes to five o'clock in the afternoon. Not surprising. So, um, Erica, hello. Welcome. There she is. Hey guys. <laughs> so, um, Hi, Erica. she's going to have to, did you already take your son to school or are you going to have to step away? No, I am going to have to step away. We just okay. got so involved. We were uh, studying the bill of rights from the Indiana constitution. So Terrible. it Terrible. just Terrible. carried us away. With How it. dare you talk about the bill of rights? That's just, I mean, well, we the people. Do you see the banner behind my head? We the people. I mean, hello. That's what we're. That's what this is. Specifically for for those accused of crimes and stuff like that, um, the rights that that they have. Right. I worked. I spent yesterday getting this whole file together on. It's called the Erica got busted file. I don't know. Just in case <laughs> I get arrested for something, or you know, I've got an affidavit of kidnapping in there. I've got my non-statutory abatement. I've got my mm -hmm. motion to dismiss based on lack of subject matter jurisdiction. So it's Good. just all ready to go. Good. <laughs> so well, just relax. I, I I realize it's better to be prepared than than not prepared. But let's let's just hope it doesn't come to that you ever have to use that. So right. Better better to have it and not need it than need it, and, need not it and not have it. Good, good saying. Good. Well, we're glad you're here. Um, Justice, hopefully, will jump on here um, sometime soon. I haven't heard from her yet this morning, but I was just giving everybody an update on on my property tax suit. So because uh, when we did the show last week, they hadn't filed a response. They hadn't filed a motion to dismiss, but they did. Uh, at about 15 minutes to five o'clock, they filed a motion to dismiss. Um, their basis for that motion to dismiss is two things. So under rule 12 of the federal rules of civil procedure, there are, there are seven things that you can file a motion for, a pre-answer motion. The first one is for lack of subject matter jurisdiction, which they cited. And then the most common is number six for failure to state a claim. So I took a look at the motion. Um, on Friday, and I sent a strongly worded email. 
to these attorneys because clearly, well, one of two things happened after they read my complaint. Either they don't understand and comprehend plain English or they are deliberately, which I feel like is the case here, they're deliberately attempting to influence the court in a different direction. So I, I'm going to talk about that here in just a second. I, I want to show you guys what the ridiculousness of their motion and, and Captain Cross, I'm sure, can attest to this with, with the cases that he's been litigating. We'll get to that here in just a few a few minutes. But but first, before I, before I do that, I, I want to address something that's really been bothering me. Um, last, last week on our show, we had a number of really good people, um, adding comments to our, our chat. So, um, and I really appreciate everyone that, that, that contributes to our live streams. Um, there was, there was an individual who, um, I asked to IM me and this individual did so because they're when they were talking on, on the show, I was like, Oh, this sounds like this is a concerning problem. So this individual, I am me and gave me the information. Well, bits and pieces of it. I should say, I didn't get the full picture. I did the best I could, uh, to help this individual and to direct the individual, which way to go. But it, it was clear to me that this individual was wanting me to do it all for him or her, him or her. Um, and, 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 and I've, and I've said this before you guys, I would love nothing more than to just do this for, for anyone who asks for help. I, I just, the rules prohibit that number one. And number two, I am not physically capable to do this for everybody who reaches out for help for me. If we are to restore this Republic to the once great nation that it was when you could walk up to anyone on the street and ask them what the seventh amendment protects. And they could tell you, we need to take ownership of our own problems and we need to learn how to litigate our own issues. It doesn't mean I'm not willing to help read something that you've written up. It doesn't mean I'm not willing to give you constructive criticism because I am, but I will not under any circumstances be belittled because you don't think I'm doing what you want me to do. Hey, Justice. So I just, I'm, I'm standing on my soapbox right now. And if, if I'm coming across harsh, I am sorry. That's not my intent because I'm trying to help anybody I can. I have never in the almost three years I've been doing this, taken a dime from anyone, nor will I ever. So don't sit there and point your self-righteous finger at me and claim that I'm not doing what I should be doing to help you. Your problems are just that, your problems. Own up to it. If you don't like what I'm telling you, that's your problem, not mine. Okay, stepping off my soapbox. I'm going to piggyback your uh, your soapbox real quick because I touched on this on Monday. And, um, you know, our, our entire nation has become very complete. Like I have a degree in aviation, and everything. So I'm supposed to be a pilot and that's all people say you're a pilot. That's what your specialty is. Well, no, I've actually been studying herbal medicine for 15 years and I have other things that I'm interested in and I study as a hobby. So I, I know a lot of things and I fix things. And if I need to know how to do something, I learn how to do it. Yeah. And I think that it's a new phenomenon as of the last like 75 years that people are like specialized and feel like they're experts in one thing and they can't learn other things. But 
Yeah. You know, we used to have to always fix our own farm equipment and trucks and there wasn't an expert to show up to do the plumbing or whatever you fixed it. And um, yeah. I think that, you know, that applies to legal knowledge and, you know, holding our own ground as a country more so than plumbing. And I think people just have inherently become complacent mm -hmm. and dependent on the legal system and people that they see as more when in all reality we all need to not just have a basic understanding but we need to understand it inherently so that we can apply it and protect our kids so true all right i'm off my soapbox <laughs> thanks designed to make us lazy as well and yeah as i james i mentioned to james there's also trolls out there designed to take people down that are doing good and are over the target so distractions yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No, and, and that's absolutely the truth. I mean, I'll give you a good example here and then we'll move on. So we've, we've had on the show, uh, Adrian um, has been on the show with us before. You guys remember her. She's dealing with a frivolous lawsuit for a debt collection. So I, I brought her on to, to show you guys what to expect when you're being sued by these sleazeball liars who purchase this debt for pennies on the dollar and then try to, to enforce this through their justice system. She's taken the bull by the horns. She's taken the how to win in, in court course. She's written up her own draft of documents. She's put them in the chat. People have given her constructive criticism. She, she does this stuff and then asked me, hey, will you review this and make sure there's nothing I'm missing? Or can you help me find some case law around this? I am ready, willing, and able to do that all day, every day. I, I love nothing more than, than reading lawsuits when, when I have the time to do it. Um, there was recently posted in one of the one of the groups that I'm in in the Law Society, which is Randy's group, um, a gentleman um, in Seattle. I believe his uh, his screen name is Sarah Seraph de Montego or something like that. He posted uh, this lawsuit that he just wrote up. It's 280 pages. Ooh. But it has to be wow. that. I mean, when you see all of the list of everything that he's got in there, it's insane. Um, but the dude is sharp as a tack. I was just reading through the first few pages, his introduction. Um, this guy's going places. This is what we need. We need more people like that. So, again, I apologize for using this as, as my soapbox moment. I was just, I was really hurt and bothered by the comments that this individual posted directed at me. Well, you haven't won anything and you haven't done anything. Is like, that means zip, zero, zilch. Guess what? I've had little victories that have gotten me what I wanted. I sent a strongly worded document to my daughter's principal and I got her out of state mandated testing. I count that as a win. It's the it little things. It's the little things that we do that, that justify these things moving forward. Now, with that being said, let me talk real quick about my lawsuit and then we'll, we'll, we'll bring Captain Cross on and he can fill us in on his. So let me pull up this. All right. So, um, when we did the show last week, we, uh, whoops, that's mine. Uh, that's not the one I want. <laughs> Sorry. When we did the show last week, uh, I was still waiting for, um, the defendants in my case to, um, oh yeah, that is the one I want was the, the defendants in my case to, um, uh, file a motion and they, they hadn't done that just yet. Now they did finally, by the end of the day file this motion and it's right here 
So they're moving to have my case dismissed under these two rules, Rule 12B1, which is for lack of subject matter jurisdiction, and or alternatively, Rule 12B6. This is a... <laughs> This is interesting why they used or alternatively, and I'll talk about that here in a second. I'm sure Captain Cross can, can verify this, okay? So the basis of Rule 12b1 is lack of subject matter jurisdiction, okay? Here's what I find is fascinating. Under the facts section of their motion, which, by the way, are all unsupported because this is just signed by the liar. Under the facts section of this motion, it states right here, defendants each in his or its own role assessed an ad valorem property tax against plaintiff's property in Weaver County, placed it on the tax roll, notified plaintiff of the taxes owed, and attempted to collect the taxes owed. Do you guys know why that statement is significant? No. Captain Cross, let me ask you, if, if I stated unequivocally in my complaint and that there was no evidence attached to that, that I am not a taxpayer, why is this that I just read relevant. Uh, I'm going to have to claim ignorance on that. I think um, I'm probably trying uh, you, to, he, he's, he's addressing you as a living man and then you as the entity of a taxpayer. Bingo. Right? There you go. Yeah. I actually, okay. so I actually reached out, I sent an email and I reached out by phone so this would have been Tuesday earlier this week because Monday was Labor Day. I talked to them on Tuesday and I said, hey, gentlemen, I'm not sure. I said, I got your motion to dismiss. I got to I got to be honest. I'm very confused. From what I'm reading, I said, is your assertion that I am a taxpayer? And they said, yes. OK, so you feel that I'm a taxpayer. All right, great. Nowhere in my complaint did I state that I was a taxpayer, nor is there any evidence that proves I'm a taxpayer? Okay. That is the key. Just because you make the statement that I'm not a taxpayer. Well, that's, that's a legal conclusion, but you'll see, or I'm not going to pull it up, but numerous times in my complaint, I stated, I am not a taxpayer, nor am I in receipt of any documentation that would act as strict evidence of that fact. Is that something that anybody can rebut? Well, sure. They can bring the evidence. Right, yeah. So but there is who's, the, who's the burden on now? The burden of proof is on who to prove that I'm a taxpayer? Yeah, it's on them. It's on the other side. So this, this, this is why I'm saying, you guys, I, I mean, it never ceases to amaze me what these, what these liars do in, these, in, in their court documents. He just put on paper and admitted that his defendants, or, or excuse me, that his clients assessed an ad valorem property tax against a non-taxpayer. That's the nail in the coffin right there. Yeah. Does, does the word it's, uh, is that what's describing you as a taxpayer? As, as an no, entity? no, because oh, I that's named... talking about the defendants. Okay, yes. so you're yes. talking yeah, about the corporations and the individuals. Correct. So okay. I named I named five defendants. I named two individuals who are who are um, elected to those positions. So it was the county assessor and the county treasurer. And then I named the county assessor's office, the county treasurer's office, and then the county itself. Okay. 
because those are legal entities and they can sue or be sued, right? Right, right. So I that's was thinking, that's I was thinking okay. for some reason they were saying you and and it never mind, but yeah, yeah. Still no. the same, same principle. Same principle. Yeah. So basically, just just to save a, a lot of time, this entire motion, which is eleven pages, it's not very long. It the entire thing rests on the fact that I'm a taxpayer. Now, if I went in there and I didn't dispute the fact that I'm not a taxpayer, then he would absolutely have a leg to stand on. But he doesn't because of the fact that he does nothing to to bring any kind of evidence forward. So let me just show you right here. He says the court does not have subject matter jurisdiction, so the case must be dismissed. According to this federal statute, 28 U.S.C. 1341, it says that courts, that uh, district courts shall not enjoin, suspend, or restrain the assessment, levy, or collection of any tax under state law where a plain, speedy, and efficient remedy may be had in the courts of such state. Okay, so what is the plain, speedy, or efficient remedy? Well, if you're a taxpayer and you don't agree with a tax that's being assessed, you can challenge that in a state court. Mm. And this law right here says that if you are a taxpayer and you don't agree with the tax that's being assessed, that you cannot challenge it in a federal court. That would, that would um, deprive the federal court of subject matter jurisdiction, which is the entire argument this guy's making. Okay. Here's, here's what's interesting, too. He says, under Utah's property tax code, it establishes the method for challenging such a tax. So when you see person listed in any of these things, that's referring to the legal entity, to the taxpayer. A taxpayer is a person. And then he goes on, plaintiffs does not mention, let alone address this statute. Well, duh, numb nuts, because I'm not a freaking taxpayer. I mean, this, this is why I was like, you guys, my head spins sometimes. I was like, do you do you understand plain written English? Or do you just choose, oh, there's no way that you can't be a taxpayer. Everybody's a taxpayer. You have to be a taxpayer. Says who? Again, these, these guys, these supposed learned guys who went to law school, who have a degree, who have a bar card, they don't even know their own rights. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's sad. It's just sad. Here's what's interesting. It says the statutory process to recover property taxes in Utah is essentially the same as claiming refunds from the IRS. And here's what it says. The Internal Revenue Code provides methods to ensure due process to what? Taxpayers. Bingo. Okay. That's his first one. His second one, and I'm going to scroll down, says... The plaintiff's complaint fails to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. Again, if I'm a taxpayer, he would be correct. But I am not. And I'm just, because this is ridiculous, I'm just going to go through this. He, he even cites the Utah Constitution establishes a property tax. Correct. So that each legal entity, person, and corporation pays tax in proportion to the fair market value of his, her, or its tangible property. Again, Two different things. Just because I was born on this ground and just because I buy a piece of property within the territorial jurisdiction of your county does not grant you rights in my property. That is that is about as asinine as me sending a tax bill to crash. 
in Mississippi. But they're they're saying though that you are liable because you registered on their rolls. No, I didn't. Right? I didn't register. On, no, I didn't do anything. They did it. Your title company did it. No, I went back and I reviewed my closing documentation. Guess what? I did not sign anything that granted anyone the authority to tax me. Review your closing documents. So it's every everyone is different. It doesn't matter. And even if you do sign something, it still doesn't grant them rights in your property. Why, Erica? Why doesn't it grant them rights in your property? You can't, you can't tax private property. You cannot tax private property because you have an unalienable right to acquire, possess, and protect property, and rights cannot be taxed. The property yeah. tax um, issue goes far beyond that. Um, there's an issue going on in my county right now with some people I know and that they paid off their land. And when they paid off their land, she said that um, it says that it's it's not that they own their land. They are now leasing mm -hmm. it from the tax office. Um, it's yeah. I forgot the exact term that she used, but it's not a deed of ownership. It's a deed of lease to the tax yeah. office. Yeah. And again, you, you guys, this is what's, I mean, if you, if you look and crash, I'll tell you right now, if you jump onto your county's website and you look at the profit, the process for uh, collecting unpaid taxes, like if they do a tax sale, you're mm -hmm. going to see the county guarantees no right of possession of this property. Buyer beware. <laughs> That's exactly what it says. So they are selling property that they have absolutely no rights or authority to sell. Yeah. Zip zero zilch. Mm. So, um, again, this, this guy's entire argument here, um, goes on about how I don't make any argument of how the con how the property tax is unconstitutional. He's right. I don't make an argument that the property tax is unconstitutional because it's not, it's a constitutional tax when it is assessed to a tax payer. Their process for assessing this tax against me, a non-taxpayer, is unconstitutional. Okay, so let me get rid of that, and I'm going to show you my response real quick, and then we'll jump into um, Captain Cross. Okay, so here's here's my response. Um, and then also too, you guys need to understand something when when a defendant challenges the court's subject matter jurisdiction. Um, the, if the court dismisses the complaint based on lack of subject matter jurisdiction, it does not dismiss the complaint with prejudice. You are welcome to change or fix those jurisdictional deficiencies and refile again. Just so everybody knows. Um, under Rule 12b-6, that's where it gets a little dicey. It depends on, on the way that the ruling is done. But here's what I said. I'm asking the honorable court to deny their motion to dismiss as this motion is frivolous and is, in plaintiff's view, a violation of federal rules 11B1 and 3. So, uh, Captain, do you know what that rule is? You know, you're, you're stumping me because I'm not uh, so involved in, in, in uh, that kind of uh, – I'll say no. I have, Isn't that the one where they're intentionally okay. delaying? Yes, it's so. Rule eleven of this of the civil rules of procedure is presentation of papers before the court. 
and Rule 11B1 and 3, which I'll, I'll read down here in a minute, specifically states that the paper is not presented to the court for an improper purpose, such as to intentionally delay the proceedings or hmm. increase the cost of the litigation or for frivolous purposes, meaning the arguments presented have no basis in law or in fact. Mm. We Remember talked about that. that last week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, in law or in fact. Okay. Now, here's something else that's always a good thing to do that Dr. Graves talks about in his course. You sh the courts want people to, to resolve their issues if they can amicably. So I did that, and I put it in my motion here. Did you guys notice that in their motion they didn't specify that we had talked before we they filed that? No. No, yeah. But I did. Plaintiff's good faith effort conference. Plaintiff, after receiving notification of defendant's motion to dismiss, emailed the defendant's counsel to point out factual deficiencies and request the defendants withdraw the motion and file a proper answer to plaintiff's complaint. Nice. Additionally, at approximately 10.45 a.m. on September 5th, plaintiff conferred with Mr. Erickson and Mr. Crockett via phone again to discuss these deficiencies. After a brief discussion, the parties were unable to come to a mutually agreed upon resolution and now seek this honorable court's intervention. Okay. Hey, hey, judge. Hey. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to work here. These guys are being unreasonable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now. I'm going to read the introduction because I really feel like this is important information to get across. One of the things that Dr. Graves states is every time you have an opportunity to present a written motion or paper to the court is another chance to state your case. Okay. Remember that introduction. It is not now, nor has it ever been plaintiff's intention to avoid paying a lawful tax to which he may lawfully owe. Um, real quick too, Dr. Cross, how much time do you have? I don't want to take away time from you. Oh no, I'm listening. I'm learning a lot from what you are. Okay. I just want to make sure because, that because there are areas, these are some of the areas that I really did not get into okay. in my, in my, uh, cases. Okay, good. I just want to make sure that I'm not, I don't, I don't want to hold you over, uh, too no. long. If, no, if by all means, go ahead. So, okay, good. So it is not now, nor has it ever been plaintiff's intention to avoid paying a lawful tax to which he may lawfully owe. However, when researching the revenue laws and state and federal constitutions, plaintiff was unable to find any adequate evidence in law that requires one of the sovereign people of the Union State of Utah to pay an ad valorem tax on their personal property that they have a right to acquire, possess, and protect. See Utah Constitution, Article 1, Section 1 simply because they own property within the territorial jurisdiction of a levying entity. Any 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 qualms or problems with that statement? Only that possess is spelled incorrectly. But I love where you're going with this because Erica just <laughs> stop it. Classes. I, I don't I know. Realize you beat me to it. Take take your teacher hat off. Sorry, I know that you've just I been can't. doing homeschool. Sorry, just, I can't do it. Homeschool okay. moms never take our hats off. You're gonna Ever. find a number of typos in here. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was never good. Nobody learned me good or how to write better. Okay. <laughs> you sure you didn't no, go to Louisiana school? I think you clearly communicated, though, <laughs> that you are not you're not challenging anything that he mentioned in his motion to dismiss. You're not saying that it was an unconstitutional tax. You're not trying to get out of paying taxes. You're not trying to. You're simply looking for the evidence that you are yeah. lawfully required to pay that, and that says it very clearly. Yeah, exactly. 
So defendants counsel has asserted. I think it's so interesting that. Um, no, go sorry, ahead. Crash. I, I think it's so interesting that that you know lawyers are not actually backing this because I know that they have ex a lot of property taxes that they pay on their mm -hmm. you know huge houses and stuff, especially out in Utah. And um, I just don't understand how they would not be like, oh wow, this is great. We should jump behind this because if the people stopped paying such ridiculous property taxes they would have more money to contribute to the area and sales tax mm -hmm. in the area would more than make up the difference of whatever well, property taxes they're collecting well here's 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 a common um a common misconception that is per, that is uh portrayed on the people crash there is more than enough money generated from sales tax revenue right now to more than enough to fund the government and then some. So, Clearly. look at so what, I, what what I'm here. What I'm saying is that if oh. if every American, oh. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm saying is if every American stopped paying income tax and property taxes, there would be more than enough money to fund the government. The Rothschilds have lie. to auction more. Exactly. <laughs> that is the big lie. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let me let me move on here. It says defendants counsel has asserted within their motion to dismiss that this court lacks subject matter jurisdiction to hear this case and that plaintiff has failed to state a plausible claim for relief. As in counsel's words, plaintiff has stated multiple legal conclusions and no factual allegations. Plaintiff is left scratching his head wondering what pleading counsel was reading or if they read the pleading at all. The basis that this entire motion to dismiss rests on is one simple issue of material fact, according to counsel, and that is that plaintiff is a taxpayer. Now, you'll notice I use the words issue of material fact. Do you do you guys know why I, I chose to use issue of material fact? No. Anybody know? Captain Cross, would you know why I would say that? Oh. <laughs> uh, well, because it has to be supported by law. It does. But guess guess what I can do um, now because this guy was dumb enough to state in his motion to dismiss that they assessed a tax on me and they did all this stuff. I can actually move for summary judgment because one of the requisites of summary judgment is that there is no issue of material fact between mm. the parties. They contend that I'm a taxpayer. I've contended that I am not. They admitted that they assessed a tax that's only accessible to a taxpayer against a non-taxpayer. That's why. Okay. I said, plaintiff finds defendant's motion to contain multiple false statements, meritless legal theories, excessively voluminous and unfocused ramblings that are so confusing, ambiguous, vague, and unintelligible to the point the plaintiff is left wondering if defendant's counsel can read and comprehend plain English. Thank you, Alphonse, for that one. <laughs> Plaintiff Oof. finds this motion to dismiss frivolous for failure to state any legal deficiencies within the four corners of plaintiff's complaint. See, there's another typo. And therefore should be denied for the following reasons. Okay. I'm not going to go through this whole thing. It's posted in our group. You guys can read it. But again, um, I just reiterate about the undisputed facts. I said by defendants, by and through their counsel, have stipulated that the following facts in plaintiff's complaint are true. Um, and I just go through and I list each one where they failed to provide any evidence of a licensed business activity where they have each in their in their own or its own role assessed an ad valorem property tax. I basically copied this section right here word for word from their own motion mm -hmm. to dismiss and put it in here. So, again, thank you, counsel, for that one. 
Here is the, the big kicker right here. This is an undisputed fact. Plaintiff, as a non-taxpayer, has no adequate remedy at state law within the Utah Revenue Code, Title 59, to recover funds taken from him under the color of law. Rulings from the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals confirm as much. This is what they said. It is equally well settled that the revenue laws relate only to taxpayers. No procedure is prescribed for a non-taxpayer where the government seeks to levy on property belonging to him for the collection of another's tax. And no attempt has been made to annul the ordinary rights or remedies of a non-taxpayer in such cases. If the government sought to levy on the property of A for a tax liability owing by B, A could not and would not be required to pay the tax under protest and then institute an action to recover the amount so paid. His remedy would be to go into a court of competent jurisdiction and enjoin the government from proceeding against his property. What do you think I just did? Yes, you did. Yeah. Yeah. 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, 1948. Great case. Okay. Um, again, I, I don't want to go through all of this stuff here because, you know, I, I've again, I've proven that I have subject matter jurisdiction or excuse me, that the court has subject matter jurisdiction because I'm a non-taxpayer. OK, um, by the way, this is one thing here. I said, again, plaintiff is confused and left wondering where counsel got this assertion. Plaintiff stated numerous times and alleged numerous times that he was not a taxpayer and that the defendants have provided no evidence to him as such. See plaintiff's complaint at page two, paragraph two, page three, paragraphs two through three, page seven. I mean, I list it all out here. <laughs> so you can't overlook this stuff. You, you just, you can't. And you can't let these liars get away with this. This is why, this is why I affectionately call them liars, right? Because this is the crap they pull. Um, I have stated a claim for relief under 12b6. Because um, where does it say, right? Okay. I said the application of the state's revenue laws towards plaintiff and his private property are unconstitutional. Counsel would have this court believe that plaintiff contends that the property tax laws in and of themselves are unconstitutional, but nothing could be further from the truth. And that's the truth. I didn't state that the property tax laws were unconstitutional because they're not. I stated that their application of them towards me was unconstitutional. So I want to get down here um, to two things. Okay. Again, when a lawyer tries to insert things that are outside of the pleadings into the case and, and refuses to substantiate that with evidence that the rules require, what do we do? We call them out on it. That's what we do. So if you remember, I verified with the attorneys. I said, okay, I just want to make sure your, your assertion is correct. You are asserting that I am a taxpayer. Is that correct? And they said, yes. Great. That is a material issue of fact that is outside the four corners of my complaint. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make sure the court knows that. And it's right here. The entire premise of defendant's motion to dismiss rests on one issue of material fact that is outside the four corners of the complaint, and that is the plaintiff is a taxpayer. All of the defenses raised thus far rest on this issue of material fact that counsel has failed to substantiate with evidentiary support. 
At this point, it is merely a statement made by counsel, and it is well-settled law that statements of counsel in arguments or brief are not facts or evidence before the court. So if you'll notice, I, I'm citing the Tenth Circuit Courts. That's because that is my controlling appellate court. So how do we control judges? We make sure that we use case rulings from the controlling case. Excuse me, the controlling circuit courts. I then go on to say there is zero evidence within the record to corroborate counsel's theory that plaintiff is a taxpayer and subject to the state revenue codes as such. This is a gross error at best and a blatant lie at worst. The rule of law and the rules of civil procedure require that if this court wishes to use this information in consideration of motions, excuse me, a defendant's motion to dismiss, that this motion must be converted to a motion for summary judgment under Rule 12D and that all parties must be given a reasonable opportunity to present all the material that is pertinent to the motion. Okay? You got to get that on the record. Because if this judge decides to grant their motion, I now have an appealable issue. Okay? And again, I point out the fact they failed to comply with the requirements of rules uh, of Rule 11B1 and 3. This is what uh, Rule 11B1 says. By presenting to the court a pleading, written motion, or other paper, whether by signing, filing, submitting, or later advocating it, an attorney or an unrepresented party certifies that to the best of the person's knowledge, information, and belief, formed after an inquiry reasonable under the circumstances that the paper is not being presented for any proper purpose, such as to harass, cause unnecessary delay, or needlessly increase the cost of litigation, and that the factual contentions have evidentiary support or, if specifically so identified, will likely have evidentiary support after a reasonable opportunity for further investigation or discovery. Okay, so if he wants to make the assertion that I'm a taxpayer, he would have to say, and I will be able to prove it after a reasonable opportunity for further investigation or discovery. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He's basically throwing crap up against the wall and hoping it will stick. Okay. All right. Any questions on that, guys? Wow. James, this is this is very. Uh, uh, I am way more polite, or more <laughs> more reserved in addressing the court and the and and and, and my writings. Uh, I think I can ramp it up a little bit when I when I write looking at what you wrote. So, uh, and, I, and, I, and I do need to dig deeper into the codes because I'm strictly, for the most part, I'm strictly presenting arguments. Yeah. Well, which I is mean, just logical stuff. Well, here's, here's the thing. I, 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 would, I would call it righteous indignation, right? I am standing up and asserting my rights, which you were doing the same. There's no difference in what I'm doing with what you're doing. We're just different issues. Right. Mine, mine rests on property tax issues. Your rests on um, issues of the right to um, your own self-conscience. See, this, this is something that I want to make sure we, we get very clear when we're talking about your case is that people think, oh, you have a right to practice your own religion. You do. And see, the government will have you believe that you have to be a, a, a member of some organized religion. That is not. I'm going to say it again. That is not what that right protects. That right protects your right to think for yourself. Your right to make a decision 
for yourself so long as that decision does not affect anyone else's rights. So that's that, that, that's correct. That's correct. So if I, I choose, if I choose not to do something to my body, how are you to tell me that by making that choice, it's going to affect someone else? That that's what's called hearsay. You have no evidence. You have no proof of it. That's exactly what it is. So anyway, um, so that's, that's where I'm at with my case. I filed, I mean, guys, I didn't waste any time. I filed my reply on Tuesday of this week. So they now have 14 days to file a reply, uh, a response. And then here's what else that I find is fascinating. Guess what the rules state that I get to do now? What do you, what do you think? Doc, uh, Captain Cross, what do you think the rules state? <sighs> Tell me, I am just speechless this morning. Come on, uh, help me out. Okay, I'm like, really, this is very, very informative. And Great. go on, go on. All right, so what I have on the screen here is um, Cornell Law School. This is one of my favorite places to go where I can find the rules of, of federal procedure. So here's rule 12 <clears throat> defenses and objections, motion for judgment on the pleadings, waiving. And what's this one say right here, Captain Cross? Pre-trial hearing you're going to do. Pre-trial hearing. Pre hearing. Okay. So here are <laughs> rule 12B. Here are the seven defenses. Okay. Lack of subject mm -hmm. matter jurisdiction, lack of personal, improper venue, insufficient process, insufficient service of process, failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted, and failure to join a party under rule 19. Those are the seven that you can present on a motion. Now, they filed the motion. I filed a response. They get to file a reply. Then what happens? Well, what typically happens is since they were the party that moved, it's on them to set that for motion. But guess what they never do? They never set it for motion. And it usually sits at the court for months upon months. But what does this down here say under Rule 12I? Hearing before trial. Um, Crash, are you able to read that for everybody? It's very fuzzy on my screen. That's why I'm okay. not just sitting there reading it. All right. If you can't see it, I'll, I'll just go ahead and read it. Rule 12I states hearing before trial. <clears throat> if a party so moves, any defense listed in Rule 12B1 through 7, whether made in a pleading or by motion, and a motion under Rule 12C, must be heard and decided before trial unless the court orders a deferral until trial. So what does that mean exactly? It means that if I ask the court for a hearing, the court is required to give one to me. Mm. And if they don't, they have violated my rights to due process as enumerated under Rule 12I. So that means what? It's an appealable issue. This is why Dr. Graves states unequivocally the rules rule. The rules govern everything. So with that, that's where I'm at. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. 45 minutes in, and I'm barely getting to our, our guest, Captain Cross. But Oh, no. You're doing great. I am just soaking this up like a sponge because every time somebody talks about this stuff, it is understood differently. It is. It is. I so, mean, it's, it's, this is why I love to listen to 
anything about, you know, court processes, proceedings, things like that. Cause I'm, I'm always learning little things that I didn't know before. One of my favorite things to listen to is um, the rule of law radio with Randy Kelton and, and Brett Fountain. Um, those guys have lots of little insights and things I didn't know before. So, um, so this is what's going to happen. They're going to file their reply brief to my response. And as soon as that's done, I am filing a motion for a preliminary pretrial hearing because the court is being asked to dismiss my complaint on a jurisdictional issue. I have a right to a hearing and I have a right to explain to myself, say, hey, um, judge, they're claiming I'm a taxpayer and that because I'm a taxpayer, I have state law remedy. Uh, nothing in my complaint stated I was a taxpayer. In fact, I unequivocally stated I wasn't mm. and that I asked for evidence from the defendants that I was and they could not and would not provide any of, mm. of to me. So the material issue is, am I or am I not a taxpayer based on my complaint, based on the record? And I, this is why I want, this is why I want a hearing. I want to get it on the record and I want a, a transcript of it. So if the judge says, yes, you're a taxpayer in this case, dismissed, I'm like, okay, judge needs to have his head checked. We're going to the 10th circuit court of appeals and the, 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 right there. The, the one thing that I want to say is that whatever you claim in your complaint is must be taken by the court as true and correct. Correct. So they need to provide evidence that what you're saying is incorrect. Exactly. So, and if they haven't provided any anything to support their claim that you're a taxpayer, then this is where I think I'm. This is what I'm understanding your argument to be: mm -hmm. is that they haven't done anything that to 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 prove that you're a taxpayer. Therefore, come on, let's, yeah, let's rule on this, right? So, okay, <clears throat> I I'll, I'll iron out the details and I'll have to read way more on the rules because I'm I'm not as well versed as you are. Well, That's I mean, it's absolutely, absolutely well, it, it's, right. it, all it is, is just, just reading and being able to comprehend what we're reading. And then I also, you know, I have a subscription to Westlaw. So I, I go in and I look at what the courts have ruled, what these, uh, what these rules mean. And, right. you know, when I, when I look under the motion to dismiss and it states that the courts should not grant a motion to dismiss under rule 12 B one without a hearing. And if they do, they have violated either the defendants or the plaintiff's rights to due process. So, so with that being said, um, Captain Cross, the, 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 the platform is now yours. Give us an update on where you are. The last, the last I remember oh, well. you filed <laughs> and I think you were doing an amended completing if I remember correctly, but fill us in with, with what's where you are now and what, what's going on. Well, here's the, here's the deal. I, if, eventually I put together my little website now and all my filings are on that website. Oh, perfect. I'm going which to is pilotgateway.com. Okay. I'm going to pull it up and I'll share the screen so we can look at it while you're talking. Yeah. And on the lawsuits tab, uh, you, you go to that and it's very basic. Really the website is not nothing fancy. And um, uh, yeah, the law, legal action, I'm sorry, legal action. Okay. Yeah. Now, oh wow! I've got all I've got all the all the filings uh, from the beginning, basically, until uh, today. And the latest that I just filed is that very top one, which is the injunction. an injunction, an injunction for uh, language that the company and the union 
put in the collective bargaining agreement that invades public policy and violates my constitutional rights to a trial by jury. Okay. In the defense of my in the, in the defense of my medical certificate. Okay. And and uh, if you remember, uh, James, I went with the argument of co- contract law. Yes. Instead of instead of my it's my body, it's my right, it's my uh, you know Title Seven um, mm-hmm. accommodations, all that. I just did not go that way from the very beginning, from day one, and decided to argue that there is a. Uh, there are regulations that must be followed. There are contracts mm-hmm. that must be fulfilled. And that's how we execute this business under aviation law. And the medical certificate is just rule supreme over everything that we do. Okay. So, uh, so I filed, if you go to American Airlines case, I filed a complaint. They filed their motion to dismiss. And, and this is where... Uh, I want to mention something, and that is that the judge helped them with the failure to state a claim by yeah, interpreting certain language. You want, if you want to pull that up, uh, yeah, like to... I'm I'm going to. Uh, I actually <clears throat> downloaded the judge's order, and yeah, I already see exactly. I, I already see problems with this. But yeah, I'm going to pull it up, and you can talk to it while while I've got it up here. So yeah, so basically, what the judge ruled. What I'm, what I tried to do, what I wanted to do, is get out from under the Railway Labor Act, and the Railway Labor Act has an administrative process to resolve uh, agree to resolve disputes over uh, contractual terms in the in the in the collective bargaining agreement. Okay, a medical certificate is not part of the collective bargaining agreement. Okay. It's public policy, and it's actually a right under the Federal Aviation Act of 1958 because the Federal Aviation Act of 1958 states that uh, it declares, it does not create the right. It just declares that we as U.S. citizens have a right to transit the navigable airspace. Well, how do we do that? As pilots, we receive our clearance from the FAA, which is positive law, right? The FAA is, is positive law. And... They clear you to exercise your right in the navigable airspace. Well, that becomes, it's an extension of your right, the medical certificate. Mm-hmm. So it cannot be negotiated. It cannot, it's not, it cannot be part of a contract because it's public policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, to get out from under, the, 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 the lawyers for the company kept on saying, kept on claiming that the collective bargaining agreement controls my medical certificate. Mm-hmm. Every chance they got, they would just try and go back to the Railway Labor Act, the, mm-hmm. the administrative process. My argument was very simple, and there's a case that supports it. And it's a, 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 a Arizona Supreme Court. It's the League Vault versus uh, North Valley uh, Hospital, I think it, it is in which the court, Supreme Court in Arizona ruled that language in the employee manual or mm-hmm. handbook mm-hmm. is contractual. It's contractual. And companies cannot change those rules when the employee reliably 
depends on this on the on the on the manual to or it would be to to the to the employee's detriment if they do change the rule so my argument focused on that as a contract between the airline and myself where uh, the employee handbook says a pilot is responsible to maintain his medical certificate. Mm-hmm. And if he's unable to do that, then he would notify the company. Okay, so what the judge did in this ruling, and if you go to, uh, let me see, uh, if you scroll, let me see, I can't remember now what page it was on, but he ruled on the contract. He said he admitted that uh, language in a manual. Here it is. There it is. That I, th- I think towards the the bottom. Pre-hire and documents and and so forth. And, and it goes towards the bottom. It goes. The court assumes without without no at the top of the page there, James. Yeah. So the okay. court assumes without deciding that plaintiff has sufficiently alleged that the attached employee handbook and flight operations manual are contractual, because plaintiff's failure to allege a breach of any of the terms contained herein or elsewhere is dispositive. Now, how did he justify that? Yeah. You, so he, he's saying he, he's saying you failed to allege a breach of contract, but I, I thought your one of your causes of action was a breach of contract. That is, that is right. So it's the breach of that contract, which is contained in the employee handbook, in which it says each pilot is responsible to maintain his medical certificate. So what he said was that it is only binding on me to maintain a medical certificate. And okay. if you if you read, he goes at the line two in that paragraph, the second paragraph says, the yeah. tech alleges that Americans mass policy breached terms in the flight operations manual requiring pilots. He didn't say responsible to maintain. He started with to maintain a current medical certificate appropriate for the crew position. And he said that that is only binding on me. Yeah, when it says fact, terms plainly impose obligations on plaintiff, not defendants. That's right, which is not true because if you read the whole and words have meanings, right? So responsible yeah. to maintain means that they cannot interfere in my responsibility to maintain. Therefore, Correct. it is binding on them just as much as it is binding on me. Yeah, so this this amounts to an abuse of discretion by this judge. So That's right. Aware. So what he did is he created a lack of, uh, 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 you know, or, or he created a condition where there is uh, a lack of uh, stating a claim. Yeah. He yes. ruled that, that uh, the plaintiff lacked, you know, he did not state a claim and he ruled on that. Well, he gave them a win with that language. Yeah. Okay, he, he, he says right language. here. He says right here, plaintiff's arguments to the contrary are, are unavailing. He argues that any imposition by American of any medical procedure is dot, 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 a violation of the very term of the employment contract. This argument is utterly basis, baseless. Okay, why? Which, which, is, which is BS because that's exactly what it is. They it cannot, they cannot <laughs> impose any medical procedure on me because they cannot be party to the contract between myself and the people see the medical certificate the medical certificate is a contract with the people yeah see this what this is guys is this is a violation and and this is something you might want to consider if you get an opportunity to amend your complaint again captain cross is you need to 
you need to uh, allege a violation of your right to contract with your passengers. This, this procedure violates an unlawful attempt to, um, let me just make sure I'm, I'm phrasing this right. This, this yes, this, there you go. This, this, um, this imposition impairs your obligation and your right to contract with them. They, they are trying to insert themselves into a contract in which they have no business being involved in because they're not a party to that contract. That is, that is exactly. So if you go to my, so this case is fully brief now at the ninth circuit. Yeah. Okay. Let me, and let me download your brief and we'll, we'll take a look at that. So. And if you read in the brief, that's precisely what I said. Not as eloquent as, as you would state, in, but in your, but in your opening brief, in my opening brief, absolutely. Okay. And then in their reply brief, here's the beauty. So he gave them a way out. Okay. The judge gave them a way out, right? So the, the, ju reply, the judge at the, the judge at the trial court, I just want to make at sure. The district court. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And his, in his statement and, reasoning for failure to state a claim he gave him a way out so he okay. interpreted the language as he saw fit to kick it out of the courthouse okay. out of his court the beauty is in their reply brief their lawyers say that captain saliba uh, i'll have to find out where where exactly how they exactly phrase it uh uh, is responsible. Yeah, they say Captain Saliba is responsible to maintain his medical certificate. However, they believe that I can comply with their policies at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> can no. I can I interject real quick? So, please do. Please uh, do. And just okay, just so, yeah, real quick, Crash. Real quick, just so for my listeners, you guys may remember this, but Crash is also a certified mm -hmm. pilot. She she was with the Air Force. No. So, maybe. 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 Excuse me, Navy. I apologize. How dare me? <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. She was an even cooler Navy aviator. Let's, okay. I apologize. And, and I'm also dealing with this, uh, this stuff with my husband's career right now. But um, yes. what I want to give some context to is uh, the, the contrast here. You know, people look at this and they're like, oh, whatever. You know, you go and you get your medical and you have your certificate and you good. However, you have to break this down into simple terms of this is a medical intervention, whether you talk about this or this, it is a medical intervention. And just because there's speculative assumption that it is beneficial for whatever reason via public policy or whatever bureaucratic troll decides that this is what needs to happen, that does not actually mean that it is beneficial to the individual period. Mm -hmm. So when mm -hmm. you have a responsibility towards not only yourself as the pilot, but the passengers behind you and your co-pilot to uphold your medical, that is your personal responsibility. That is not a group think moment. That is between you and your doctor and your common sense as to what you do on the day-to-day -day basis to maintain your health and integrity in order to maintain flight status. So if you go into a flight and you're undermining your common sense of what you need to do in order to maintain height like the and mental acuity in order to operate that aircraft at the safest possible you know level to keep everybody 
you know, on time, safe. And if there's an emergency procedure, there's not um, something impeding your ability to do that. You're not tired and fatigued. You don't have a headache and you're not doing something intentionally to contribute to getting a headache, being fatigued or um, having anything in the way. That is your responsibility. We're not allowed to just go and take a Benadryl and then go on the aircraft. We have limits for what we're supposed to do. So we cannot allow any entity to come in and tell us what we need to do in order to maintain our health to fly as a group. That is. Wait a minute. You You mean to tell me that showing up for work drunk is not good? I mean, it's fun, but I don't recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm making a joke, you guys, but I mean, you you probably have seen in the news a while ago, a pilot showed up plastered and he thought he was going to fly the plane. Okay. So, so drunk is actually really exactly what she's talking about. And, and this is, and this is, let me, let me jump in here, James. And this is where there is, there is, thanks, Crash. Let me in. Uh, there is in the regulation, in the law, okay, there are regulations that tackle somebody like that, okay? So in, my, in one of my, uh, uh, I think it is in my brief here, where I describe to the court clearly how this whole thing works. Yeah. And I, and I describe to them that up to the point that the pilot checks in for his duty, mm-hmm. it is... Completely his responsibility. It's always his responsibility. But nobody can tell him what to do at all. Yeah. Up to that point, okay, he is uh, the ultimate person who makes that decision to, ch- to sign in for duty. I'm fit for the- Even if they, examine him, if they examine the pilot all day and mm-hmm. then he gets behind the controls, it is still his decision to say, yes, I am fit to go fly. Yeah, can't I mean, force you I'm, to I'm reading. I'm right. reading it right here. It says safety is no accident. At the pinnacle of the equation of safety are the pilot's skills and health. No matter the skill of the pilot, if he is not healthy, the equation fails. That, that's He's, right. You're, you're, so, you're not wrong. Yeah, that's right. So now, but here's the, here's the trick that the here's the law that says, you know, okay, you 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 checked in, you're in uniform, and you're going to go fly an airplane. Anybody, anybody, it doesn't have to be the company. Anybody, a law enforcement uh, uh, personnel or anybody in the terminal sees you wobbling, walk into the gate, they think you're intoxicated, they can force an examination of the pilot. Yeah. Right? And then you must submit to the examination. So there are rules and regulations that cover that, but there's nothing, absolutely nothing that says a company may impose any medical procedure or treatment. Not even the FAA does that because of contractual obligations and because of risk assessment and whether they can assume the risk or not. They are the agent of the people. They cannot assume the risk on behalf of the people and contract with the pilot at the same time. Yeah, I I, I discussed that in there too. Yeah, I just want to point out, you put it right here, where you state Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 of the Federal Constitution, which it talks about that no state shall pass any law impairing the obligation to contracts. And then you state here, such as in this case, where a contract between a pilot and the people is subject to FAA rules and regulations, or that an agreement between a pilot union and AA, in this case is American Airlines, not Alcoholics Anonymous, okay, people, right, right. <laughs> may not invade public policy. 
In this case, and in line with my duty, I am executing contracts with every signature I affix to a document. I am free to execute such contracts in accordance with public policy and in line with the contractual language in the employment agreement. In addition, I may not be coerced or forced into contractual agreements in violation of the federal regulations and public policy. The above statements demand supporting language from this circuit. Good. Yeah. So I, I assume on this one, you're awaiting a ruling from them, correct? Yeah, this is fully briefed at the Ninth Circuit, and I'm waiting on them either to go for uh, 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 oral oral arguments or, yeah, oral they arguments, rule, uh -huh. or they might just rule on it. I don't know how that's going to go. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so it is, it, it is a contract. It really mm -hmm. is a contract. So to avoid getting into any of the medical discussion, because in, in my other case, in my other case against the union, uh, the judge basically ruled that I'm not, I'm not the one who can make a decision whether restricting my breathing is acceptable or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, really? Uh, so when I, when I filed a motion for reconsideration, guess what? He couldn't rebut it. He couldn't rebut it. So his comeback was, oh, you are quarreling with the court. Dismissed, or oh, or uh, 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 what do you call it? denied? Motion denied. Yeah. Because now I am quarreling with the court because I corrected him, and I told him exactly how the rule applies, and he didn't like it. He just did so, not like it. So it, that's what court is for. That's right. Court is for quarreling. <laughs> because because he did not have any law to support what he the statement that he made which is, yeah. he can't support it. There's nothing that he can say to support it. Oh, I love this right here. By the way, there is, and this is working in your favor, uh, Captain, there is case law from the Ninth Circuit that states that private actors who are aligned with state um, directives are considered state actors under Section 1983. Because I just, I just pulled this up from the... the, the uh, court's order where it says section 1983 provides a civil right of action but only against those acting under the color of state law he says apa is a union and generally unions are not state actors they are private actors um if they if they are enforcing public policy on the directive of the state they are considered state actors under section 1983 and there is ninth circuit court decisions that, that affirms just that matter of fact I don't remember off the top of my head the name of the case, but it was a it was a uh, uh, I want to say a retirement home of some kind that the people sued because their dad died. And they said that you guys put him in danger of this. And they said, well, we were just doing the directives that the state had and they sued them under 1983. The Ninth Circuit came back and said, no, you are liable. I think I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, and I think we talked about it last time, if I remember correctly. Yeah, there's so many things I, I and I, remember now, I have uh, five lawsuits going on. Okay? <laughs> I did not, I did not include one on 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 the because it's it is it has to do with uh, a settlement agreement that I made with the airline back way back in two thousand and five. Okay, but uh, luck of the draw, I had the same judge on that one as the very first complaint that I filed. Logan, mm -hmm. uh, Judge Logan, right? 
and he ruled that um, there was no violation of the settlement agreement or the contractual terms of the settlement agreement. But here, here's the beauty, and I and I'll send you I'll send you the the language. Uh, I'll send it to to uh, well I'll send it to you. I think I have your your email. Um, I believe you do. Uh, yeah, but if I, yeah, um, if you, if I don't, just please send it to me. Just in case I, I I don't. But here's here's what he ruled. He ruled that the language in the agreement was unambiguous. All right. Here's mm-hmm. the language. Here's here's the language. It said that the company will provide me with a letter of their policy against non discrimination. Double, double leg. <laughs> That's right. You see, do you hear that? Against. They have against a policy against non, non-discrimination. non-discrimination. Now, that means they're I, for discrimination, I, I, just to like... I admit now, dramatically. now this. I, I, I admit that I have read it many times, and I never really paid attention to it. I always read against discrimination. Mm-hmm. And then after it was dismissed, and I'm thinking, you know... Why am I going to appeal this? This is just not going to go anywhere, mm-hmm. you know? And then I, I got out of the shower and it hit me. I'm like, oh my God, let me go read it again. <laughs> so I read it and sure enough. So now that creates ambiguity in yes, the language does. of the contract. So now we have to go look at the extraneous, extraneous evidence to see how and why we arrived at that agreement. You could also so, argue the void for vagueness doctrine. The what is it? The void for vagueness doctrine. Uh-huh. So there, there is there is a doctrine that applies to any statutory law that if it is vague and ambiguous, that two reasonable people cannot come to the same conclusion that the law is void for vagueness. It has no effect. You could do the same in in contract law too, because generally speaking, if there's any ambiguity. In a contract, yeah. it's resolved in favor of the non-party who wrote the contract. So, for example, if you oh. didn't write the contract, the other party uh, did, they did, and they put the ambiguity in there, right? The courts resolve that in your favor, not theirs. Ah, uh, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm I'm still waiting for that letter. They, they're supposed to provide me with a letter of their. I, of their policy against uh-huh. discrimination. I don't have that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that letter. I have a letter that states they will not discriminate, but I don't have a letter that says they are against non-discrimination. So therefore, yeah. there is ambiguity. So they wrote the contract. Okay, is there is there uh, a, a code or or what did you get that? Where can I? Find that, James. Um, so if you, you know? go on to um, wherever, you know, and I, I don't know what you have access to, if you're just going on to like Google Scholar or if you're going on to Westlaw, yeah. um, just go into Google Scholar and search uh-huh. void for vagueness doctrine. And you'll okay. find it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, I love, it went all the way it. to the Supreme Court. So the United States Supreme Court issued, this is what void for vagueness means. Um, okay. and, and basically it's like what I just said. If there's any, if two reasonable people cannot read the statute and come to the same conclusion, then that doctrine, then, then that statute is void. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I have not, 
uh, written my brief on that one yet. It's due on the 29th of this month. Mm -hmm. I've got to, I've got a few things to do before I get there. So, uh, hey, uh, Captain. But yes, uh, I have a call in. Somebody wants to see if they can my phone on the mic to help explain stuff. You skipped. If you that's skipped, all right. Let's uh, see if this works. Okay, I want I want to see if this works. Uh, Hold on. All right, go ahead. Okay, how am I coming through? Clear. Who is it? Good. It's a yeah, pilot. we can hear you. We'll just say it's a pilot. Okay. All right, we got another pilot. Awesome. So, can they hear me? Or yeah, yeah, we got you. Go ahead. Okay, so you guys have kind of touched on it around the perimeter, but you need to directly explain, especially to anyone who's not a pilot, that through the collective bargaining agreement, through the FOM, that the company can require us to have a first-class medical certificate because that's part of federal aviation regulation, which is the federal statute. And aviation has regulations in place that restrict us generally when it comes to substance abuse and alcohol, things like Benadryl, as you stated. Darn it. General aviation policy does not explicitly state things we have to do. The things we have to do is liaise through aviation medical examiners who are representative of the federal policy, the federal government, the three-letter agency. So anything specifically we have to do, like an example would be sleep apnea, using a CPAP or a dental device, or heart medication for someone who has a medical condition, that is prescribed through an aviation medical examiner with aviation medical board with the FAA. It state, this trumps state policy, local policy, unless it's written in as a law through the FAA as a federal aviation regulation through the aviation medical board, then it is not, the company can state nothing that we have to do or take medically speaking. There is no precedent. So essentially, the company trying to say you have to do something medically as in you have to wear this, we have to take this, you have to receive this inoculation. They have no grounds for that. That we select as our flight line. And the rules and regulations set forth by the FAA and reviewed by the aviation medical. The company, the state, have absolutely no say. The only say they have is in the collective bargaining agreement and saying that we must have a first line. Therefore, they have no grounds All right, so uh, right. with that cleared up, um, Captain Cross, do you want to jump into your latest filing? No, I. Or you yeah, want to do I, that later? I, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is very good. What he said is uh, is is accurate. Is absolutely accurate. But what the companies have done is they were able to secure the consent of the pilots. Yeah. Once it is, this is why I focus on the contract law, because. Once they consent, the, they, they secure the consent of the pilot, that's it. You can do, you, you, it is your right to contract, right? Mm. This is a constitutional right to contract. They secured the consent of the pilots and the pilots made that decision. The FAA cannot tell you what to do. They just can't tell you. They're there to examine you. And if you, 
and he's the the the, the pot is 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 right on in the fact that you have to seek the treatment if you want to continue to exercise your right to transit the navigable airspace you ask the faa hey is this okay is this approved by you and they'll say yes or no it's yes. that simple they're going to yeah. either approve it or not depending on what their knowledge and what their uh, standards are set to and and uh, but nobody can tell you because they cannot enter nobody can demand any treatment because they cannot enter into the contract yeah and and uh, in in my case uh, the argument is that there's already a contract where they admitted that it is my responsibility to do so so th- they already stated that in their brief that's it we're not going to go back and say oh no but but you can still maintain the company policy or re- comply with the company policy that just does not work no <clears throat> but the but the but here's so the caller the, the 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 pilot is is again he's he's right on and this is why the companies now are coming to the unions to insert language in the collective bargaining bargaining agreement that would disallow them to take the company to the to courts. Yeah. Do you want me to pull that up? And, and try yeah, yeah, that would be great. And that would here's here's the deal with the bargaining collective bargaining agreement. Or your rights. You can waive your rights. You can waive your rights. Okay? Uh, you are not allowed to violate public policy. It's very complicated and it's very diabolical what they're doing. Okay. They are coming across as though they have authority, but they don't have authority. So when I asked them to show me the authority, they didn't have any authority. I said, I'll do anything you want me to do. Just show me where you have authority. But Mm -hmm. when you do that, when you do that, then you have to sign all these contracts. You have to sign my medical. You have to sign the release of the flight. You have to sign my fitness for duty. I'm not going to be able to do that. And they said, oh, no, we can't do that. We can't take that away from you. So before we jump into this, Kevin Cross, we uh, we talked to somebody this week that read their contract this and were excited about it because they don't understand what we're about to explain. So. Uh, okay. Right here. <laughs> yes, this is this is the language that lulls pilots into believing that they actually do have protections. Okay. So <clears throat> this language was inserted in the 11th hour after four years of negotiations with the, with the airline in the 11th hour, but seven days before the voting started in a very obscure section of the CBA. CBA is the collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. W- would you mind um, reading this? Cause we do have a lot of people who listen to this show. Would you mind reading yeah. this for us? Yeah, let me, but let me, let me, before I read that, let me say. Sure, so, sure. So, so the airline and the union arrived at uh, tentative agreements, like, and they were amended three different times. And then the fourth time they inserted this paragraph and the company came with a billion dollars in improvements in the contract and inserted this paragraph in the CBA. Nobody saw this. Very few pilots actually saw this and for the most part only because i was talking about it i brought it out into the public and i was telling the pilots this is not good because now you if you vote this in you are actually violating 
your co-workers constitutional right to a trial by jury because mm -hmm. now you lock them any dispute over this language has to be resolved under the railway labor act grievance process which may end in binding arbitration and binding arbitration the arbitrators will not interpret law they will only interpret the language in the contract because the language in the contract is contract and contract is law yeah. they will not interpret they will not interpret public policy yeah that that's every not their term, every terms and conditions also includes that exact same language if you read like for anything, if you want to download an app on your phone, if you want to get a new cell phone, if you want to buy a new product, they all say that you waive your right to a trial by jury and and only agree to their arbitration. That's right. Mm -hmm. So the pilots who signed this contract on August 21st, they waived their right to a trial by jury and the rights of everybody else. The clever language in this uh, 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 section in the contract says medical protections and qualifications. So under paragraph one, it says the company may not require a pilot at any time to undergo any medical procedure or procedures other than those required by the FAA to maintain a first-class medical certificate. I just finished saying the FAA does not require any medical procedure or medical treatment. Mm -hmm. All they do is conduct an examination and they authorize certain procedures if you choose to have those procedures to maintain your medical certificate. But mm -hmm. you have to make that decision. You can't expect the FAA to say, no, you got to have that in order to get a medical certificate, right? So you just meet the standards. That's all they are concerned with. So why do we have a language like that? That's already plain clear. It's clearly plain to us that the FAA does not require anything. Why well, have that line in there? Well, here's to begin, here's to begin with. Here, here's what my thought is. Look, look at, I mean, you finish reading to maintain a first-class medical certificate. There's a comma, and it oh, says, right. unless required elsewhere in this agreement. Guess okay. what that Guess what that statement right there just did? That opens up a whole other section underneath that statement. The, it, the, well, not only that, it just nullified <clears throat> the preceding sentence before it. That, that, that may be true, but let me tell you why they have that in there. Because there is another section in the CBA that allows the company, the company to um, examine pilots for mm -hmm. fitness. So if there's a, let's say a pilot is abusing his sick leave. He's calling sick every weekend, calling sick over Super Bowl, calling sick on the 4th of July. Then, well, he must have a chronic illness. Yeah. So if they want to examine him, <laughs> then they have to go through procedures, right? So that covers that. Okay, I, I, I buy that. Not, not a big deal. But here's, here's the problem. It says medical procedures. Mm -hmm. There's a medical procedure, and then there's a medical treatment, Two different things. Yeah. So if the company says you've got to take this medical treatment, whatever, vaccination, let's say. Okay. Well, that's not a medical procedure. I've, I talked to a doctor and she told me that is not, that is a medical treatment. It's considered mm -hmm. a medical treatment. So when the company says, well, you got to take this medication and you say, well, well, no, 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 wait a minute. Let's look at the contract. It says you can't 
demand any of this stuff. They'll say, read it again. This is not a medical procedure. This is a medical treatment. Yeah. So what that, what that does is immediately invokes the interpretation and application dispute between the parties. And it that becomes a can, word. It, yeah, it becomes. That's right. How do we, they, they will tell you, the company will tell you, look, this is how we read it. You understand it differently. You are welcome to grieve it, but you must comply. And you can't go to court. And you can't, and if is- you go to court, the court will say, we don't have jurisdiction over this because there's an administrative process under the Railway Labor Act that you must yeah. It's a contractual exhaust. dispute now. Yeah, That's right. So this is what they wanted to do. So people like me who, uh, you know, who take them to court would not be able to do that anymore. And they're also going to have-, have that word game where like for this part of it, they could say that it's an emergency public policy and has nothing to do with the medical procedure aspect of your contract. Right. And then it's, again, it's a dispute. Right. It's a, it's a interpretation and application dispute that must be resolved under the grievance machinery, the, you know, courts like, like to call it grievance machinery under the Railway Labor Act. So that in and of itself alone is enough to keep the pilots from courts. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a major, that's a major issue right there. Um. (laughs) So, so James, yeah. So, so here's what I said earlier where it comes into play and that is, so let's say, okay, I disagree with the company. I grieve it and I take it all the way to arbitration. Yeah. The arbitrators cannot rule on public policy on the law, because I'm, I'm saying this is my medical certificate that you are invading. And they're saying, no, this is contract. You got to fulfill the contract. So you go to arbitration, the arbitrators say, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not ruling on the public policy. I'm not ruling on the legality of your medical certificate. I'm just ruling on the language and the contract. Mm-hmm. That's been cited in many cases. One of them is uh, Norris versus Hawaiian Airlines. Yeah, and there are many more citations where they, the courts clearly state state that fact. Now, even so, if the person who wrote this contract wrote it with good intentions, the legal uh, team that's there to support the contract or the um, the company and their shareholders is going to rule in favor of. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. They they want control. In the end, they want control, and they want to stay out of the courts. Yeah. yeah. They want yeah, control they, and they want every, to stay out of the courts. Every every single time. Well, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm here to... Sorry, go ahead, Erica. It seems like the only answer to this situation is to just not work for these people. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Good luck finding pilots now, you guys. The answer, the answer, is, the answer is what I just did, which is filing uh, a complaint for an injunction to remove there. the language from the contract. There because you go. This is public policy. It's never been in any contract that touches a pilot medical certificate where they can dictate any medical procedures or treatments. It's just never existed. Now, just putting it there is codifying it and making it contractual. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big problem. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I was going to say. I mean, if you're, 
again, no one can force you into a contract, right? No. So if they, if, if your, if your union, your association, if they put something in a contract that you don't agree with, well, obviously your first step would to tell them, say, Hey, I don't agree with this guys. I'm not signing this. They're like, well, you're going to, or you're not going to work for us. Okay. Well, let's see how well that works out for you when I file an injunction. So and that's, that's and that's and th- I'm sorry and that's precisely what I did is I sent them uh, an affidavit, a notice of affidavit yeah. and demand not to have any language, and I declared my right to uh, trial by jury. I said I'm not giving that right up, so you 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 can't put this language in there and deprive me of my constitutional right to trial by jury. The company yeah, did not respond time. to that at all. That last line no. is also very disturbing. Uh, we haven't That's, touched that yet. I was just going to piggyback that onto what Erica said, because what they really want is they want anybody like Captain Cross or Erica or Crash or James to not work for them anymore. And they want to bring in new hires that are more, that are either in the communist movement or in the yes, sir movement and just happy to collect mm-hmm. a paycheck and do what they're told. That's their whole purpose. It's a slow infiltration and takeover. And then they get what they right. want. Yeah. So, yeah, read the last line there. Yeah, so uh, this, this, this provision does not apply to pilot new hire requirements. Right. So the union argues, well, we don't re- represent these guys, so what do we care? So it's, it's, <laughs> we can't, we can't, we can't, but the fact, just the fact that they put that provision in there, okay, is giving the airline they're conferring authority in the airline. They're saying that the airline does have authority to impose new hire requirements on the pilots coming through. Right. They're, yeah. they're, they're given, they're, they're, if they didn't put that in there at all, well, you know, if the company has that authority, why do they need to have it in a, in, a, in a CBA? Yeah. Which is what I stated in my complaint. If they do right. have the authority, they don't need that. They don't need that term in there. Yeah, this yeah, explicitly the opens the door for an airline to dictate a medical intervention for new. Crash, your internet keeps coming in and out, but I think we get the gist of what you're saying. So basically, the airlines created a new medical standard that yeah. is different than what the FAA has created. Yeah, see, and and if we actually lived in a in a society where these three letter agencies were created with, with we, the people at, at the best of intentions, someone at that three letter agency would be doing what captain Saliba is doing. They would be filing the lawsuit. They would say, no, we can't interfere with your right to contract, but this violates everything that we were created to do. And Again, it's a it's a it's a contract law issue. It's it's a statutory law issue. Let those let those liars that 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 live and die in that world go ahead. Be my guest. But you're right, Captain. I mean, it does not. Hold on a second here. Um, I am not waiving any of my constitutionally. By the way, I do want to just clarify one thing. Um, because you'll see this from judges. You'll see this from attorneys, where they'll state that we have statutory or constitutional rights. How many times have I said this, Justice? Every time. <laughs> we do not. I repeat, we do not. We do not have statutory or constitutional rights. We have constitutionally secured rights. rights. Right. You have on your 
I was just looking at it on your website, Captain, where um, under the section on the law, you have the Ninth Amendment, which states that these enumerated rights shall not be construed to or deny other rights retained by the people. That amendment is one of the most important amendments ever conceived. And, and I said this uh, previously. Um, I wonder if Crash knows the answer to this question. Crash, do you know when the founders got together after they had written the Constitution, they got back together to do the Bill of Rights? Do you know how many rights were initially proposed in that Bill of Rights? I don't remember how many were the initial, but... Two? Maybe oh, one? It was, <laughs> it, was a, no, it was a lot. It was a lot more than that. Erica, what was the number? I, I don't know. I'm just guessing hundreds. Okay, let's see if you remember. Justice, were you on that show that we did? No. Okay, and, it, was a hun- and- it was 157. Yeah. Wow. 157 rights that they wanted to, to enumerate and put in the Bill of Rights. But James Madison being, not only did he have a good name, um, <laughs> I'm biased. Oh, I do remember that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Not only did he have a good a good name, he also had like, hey, you know, if we put this thing, the state's just going to find a way around it. Eventually, the government's going to find a way around it. We need a catch-all. The Ninth Amendment was the catch-all. Mm. So yeah. this is this. I'm just going back to this, and I put this in my court briefings, and I have no problem, uh, Captain, calling out judges who are clearly in error. Uh, and, and if, you know, if the judge issues a ruling in my case that says, well, your statutory rights or your constitutional rights, I will throw it right back in their face and say, uh, um, again, there is no evidence before this court that I have statutory or constitutional rights. Because I don't. I have constitutionally secured rights, constitutionally guaranteed rights, of which every member and officer of the court has taken an oath and has sworn to protect. That's right. Yep. I'm not one of those guys that's going to go show me your oath of office because again, that's the wrong argument. I'm going to be like, you are required to take an oath. It's presumed you have taken an oath. And if you haven't, then that's your problem, not mine. Hey, uh, we have a, a, he called back in. So. Wow. I, we don't even have a call number and this is fantastic. I have a call number. <laughs> She's got a <laughs> pilot society going on. over. Yeah, there. go ahead. All right. You're on. Okay. Uh, I'm listening in, but I, I don't have it on right now. I don't want to keep back that question. Uh, I just wanted to put a stamp here, not just on the specifics of the argument, the arbitration in regards to contract law, but kind of put an emphasis on the argument, is that not just pilots, many of us are held to a high standard, especially when it comes to duty when it comes to the medical standards that dictate our ability to adjust. And these standards are higher than the general population. Often we have to go through more rigorous trials and examinations in order to simply go out and be allowed to do our job, whether it's federal or state statute. And most of these things that we're talking about, whether they be vaccinated, extra medical examinations, they're being imposed on people who are stewards of the state. Because there's no avoiding that being an airline pilot is part of public service job, and we are stewards of the people that we care for, regardless of your opinion on automation. This falls into many other uh, industries that we're speaking about. 
in danger. Yes. Putting them in danger, you're taking the stewards' public safety of multiple industries and military, essentially making us the lab rats for things that are unproven and are essentially being pushed under a political agenda. Good point. It's very unethical and very unsafe. But again, it comes down to the basis of they're going to use law, contracts, and unions to follow the politics and not common sense. We should be the last group tested, not the first. Yeah. Sorry to keep going. The problem is that Crash's internet is breaking up. And, and Crash, can you kind of oh, yeah. sum up what, what he said? Because Yeah, yeah, I can I can do a summary real quick. Um, I mean, so is what he, he disagreeing? Said, he's not disagreeing no, with what no, I'm saying. He's, no, okay, he's right. not disagreeing. Um, what he's, hard um, to pick it up. He's saying that the uh, we are the stewards of uh, public safety. So anybody who is in an an industry that's either transportation or public health, actually like doctor, nurse, Mm -hmm. somebody who is your hands and your knowledge help keep the public safe. Anybody in that sector that falls under that umbrella, also including military, anything that protects the public. Very last of okay. any type of experimental something that could be harmful. So does that make sense? That we missed the first time. We missed this time because your internet went out again. So you said uh, anything okay. that protects the public and then it stopped. And then you said okay. last. The next yes. One okay. So we should be the last to be uh, part of the experiment because oh, we you should, go. you should know what the results are going to be before you subject Everybody, because if we get harmed and start dropping from the sky, that harms a lot of people, not just ourselves. Look what's well, happening. I don't see any evidence. I don't see I know any what's happening. Evidence. That's why we brought it up. <laughs> I, I haven't seen any evidence in the last three or four years that any of these NGOs, large bodies, government or anything have any interest in protecting the public. No. no. So that's why no, they're no, no. on you guys first. <laughs> yeah. I do want to bring something up real quick. Um captain so um i mentioned one of the sources that i really enjoy <clears throat> listening to a lot is the rule of law radio with uh, uh randy kelton and brett fountain so brett actually just um reached out to me on telegram he's listening in right now so hey brett shout out to you buddy um he says that um he just wants to make sure we we understand this distinction and i'm just going to read this word for word because i don't believe this is the case but Brett says um, that he says he seen when he says he he's referring to you, Captain Cross. He says Captain Cross seems to believe that we have a right to transit the airspace, but he might not realize that a right cannot be converted into a privilege and taxed and regulated. And that is the truth. The state okay. cannot take a right and convert it into a privilege and tax it and regulate it. So he does say the commercial privilege is separate from that right. If you are engaging in the regulated activity, that's not the same as exercising your right to transit the airspace. I'd suggest it might be good for him to keep that distinction clearly in his mind as he formulates his position. So this is- I recommend that that contributor try to fly the navigable air. (laughs) No, no, no. No, no, no. Here's- Under any federal regulations and see how that works out for him. Hold on, Crash, you skipped out again. Say again. I, I recommend that that contributor go ahead and try to navigate the, <laughs> or fly through the navigable airspace in the United States without following any federal regulations and see how that works out. Right. 
no, no. Yeah. Let, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me uh, make a comment here. Uh, <laughs> there, there is a distinction. There is no. There is a distinction. Okay, and that distinction is addressed in the uh, Federal Aviation Act of 1958. So if you go to section, um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna cite the the regulations. 49 U.S. Code paragraph 42.112. Okay, so as as a private citizen, you exercise your right by getting your pilot certificate and your medical, and you go fly on your own. You're mm-hmm. you're just flying. That's you're exercising your right. Yep. Now, but under, you still under have paragraph, to be, you still you're still under federal regulation. Yes, yes, pilot, you are. So yes, you are because because that's the Aviation Act of 1958. But 49, uh, 40 or 49 U.S. Code 42112 then says that uh, we are then providers of transportation to the rest of the populace, and that's that falls under the economic. Uh, obligations or i can't remember how they 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 uh label the uh the section uh economic responsibilities i guess of air carriers this is where you get into the commercial side mm-hmm. okay and they 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 refer to the pilots as providers of transportation right mm-hmm. okay well, then then we are in the commercial rental realm of in that in that arena yes there's i have made that distinction in my filings Good. Uh, Good. Which, which then there's a uh, an air carrier obligation to maintain compensation for the pilots and co-pilots who are providing transportation. So we are not only we're not just mere workers or employees at the airline. We are actually creditors. We are providing a service to the airline. Yes, I you like know, to refer I, to I us as creditors and a privilege I, to the society. For them yeah. to traverse the, the well, navigable airspace. Well, we're here, making it possible for them to exercise their rights. Yes. Yes. Yeah, here's 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 the distinction. Okay. And and this is this is where I, I feel like, you know, I didn't want to, to get off in the weeds here, but here's the distinction. The Supreme Court has stated unequivocally we all have a right to travel. Now there's numerous methods for how we travel, right? We can right. walk, we can ride a bike, we can ride a horse, we can <clears throat> Use, use, use your car, your truck, you can get on a train, you can get on a plane, you can get on a boat. There's any number of ways that you can travel. So the Supreme Court has stated that a private citizen, a state cannot convert a right into a privilege and t- charge a tax for thereof. So this goes more to your right to being able to drive your car. And, and, and Brett, by the way, is the best in the business. So I suggest you follow follow him on Telegram if you have questions on, well, do I really have to have a license to do all these things? I'll let you guys determine that on your own. I t- I've told you before why I choose to, because I don't want to be harassed. But to each their own. Yeah, technically so, you don't have to, but it's a fight. Exactly, it's a fight. So now when you get into things like where, where Captain Cross and, and where Crash are talking, you're talking a big commercial airline where there's 200 and something passengers on board. I think we can all agree that we uh, we want to make sure that whoever's operating that aircraft is is a certified to do it and and b is is operating it safely so that I can ensure that they're protecting my right to travel to 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 navigate the airspace because you're right, crash. If I got behind a if I got into a cockpit, I wouldn't have the first thing a clue what I'm looking at. Wouldn't know. Wouldn't even know how to turn on the propeller if I'm in a prop plane. Wouldn't even know how how to do that. So, well, I actually have a, a, a different you know. Uh, pers- 
how do I say? Uh, perception. I don't. I don't know. I I don't agree necessarily <clears> with <throat> the um, conclusion that. Why is it every time her important things you get are cut here, off? Um, because of the same reason. So I, yeah. you don't have. I don't feel like you have the right to just drive because you're here. I did. I don't feel like you have the right to drive just because you are here. I think that the driving licensing is to ensure some level of safety and knowledge. But I am 99% sure that in the state of Mississippi, they're giving out handicap licenses if you fail the test. <laughs> I'm here to tell you it's, so, not just Miss, Miss, it's not just in Mississippi, okay? That's everywhere. <laughs> okay. Um so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, like like I said, we, we all have a right to travel. How you choose to exercise that right, that determines what happens there, right? Because again, and your abilities. Exactly. When when you purchase an airline ticket, there there is a contract with that, right? I mean, it's it's a uh, why am I why am I drawing a blank here, Captain Saliba? What's that called? It's uh, the contract, not the carrier contract. Contract of carriage. There you go. Contract of carriage. Yes. There's a contract with that. Right. And it states, you know, by you purchasing this ticket, this is what you're going to agree to do for us. And by you purchasing this ticket, this is what we agree to you. We agree to get you from point A to B as safely as possible. We agree to ensure that the employees are certified to do so. You know, all of these things. And this goes back to the ultimate argument the captain is making, which is contract law. Because of the fact that we purchased the ticket, that contract is between us and the people flying that plane. Um, I mean, I guys, you know, I travel a lot for my for my business for work. I travel a lot, and I can't tell you how many times I, I can think of one instance where I was on a flight from Atlanta to Salt Lake City. We were I'm not I'm not kidding you. We were seconds from touching down, seconds from touching down, and something happened that the pilot felt was unsafe to touch down and we jets uh, full throttle. We went right back up and we ended up landing at another airport. And ultimately we found out it's because there was some heavy crosswinds coming in and he felt that if he tried to touch down that the crosswinds would potentially cause us to, to crash. So that pilot made the split second decision to go to fly right back up in the air and, and go land at another, at another airport. Those are the decisions that we're entrusting these people to do. Um, and, and they're, God bless them, but the captain is not wrong. This is not going to be an easy fight. I do want to just inform, I want to inform you, Captain, that, and you're, you're seeing it already, the likelihood you're going to get a, a positive redress in the district courts are slim to none, which you're already seeing. Um, these yep. decisions that are being rendered by these judges um, don't make any sense whatsoever, um, at least from what, what, what I can see. Uh, and it, it's it's mind-boggling how they come to these conclusions and how they're giving these corporations the that they're giving them a bypass they're just giving them a free pass uh so you need to stick to your guns the good news for you is there has been a changing of the guard at the ninth circuit court of appeals which has traditionally been the most liberal circuit court of appeals in the country but oh. luckily there has been a changing of the guard there's good decisions coming from those justices, but even if you don't get the decision you're looking for, your case is strong enough and it presents an argument that is strong enough that the Supreme Court of the United States would need to hear it and more than likely would take it up. 
And um, so, pilots I, listening to this, if if enough of us actually understood what he's doing and mm -hmm. stood with him and petitioned the unions and took a stand with him, then he wouldn't even need to go that far. The, the pressure no. from us as a whole would be enough. So if you go to pilotgateway.com, you can look at all of his legal um, proceedings and paperwork. And if we could actually organize just enough of us to just say, hey, this is a great thing. We all need to stand together on this to protect. Yeah. You know, there wouldn't be, he, he could actually, you know, start flying again and stop fighting our legal battles for us. Yeah. Right. So yep. yeah. can I piggyback yeah. on that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, real quick, and then we gotta we gotta wrap things up. We're coming up here on two hours. Don't get me wrong, I love I love these long shows like this. I just want to make sure I just want to make sure that the information we're giving you guys, and when I say you guys, it's not just those of you who are on the screen here with me, it's people watching, people listening. I hope that this is relevant. Please let us know. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, I do everything in my power to help you. And I'm getting on my soapbox again. But if you I'll refuse, <laughs> if you refuse to listen to the information I give you, that's your problem, not <clears> mine. <throat> Do not make it mine. Kate, back off my soapbox. Go ahead, Trent. Justice. Okay. Um, so I, I, you know, um, Captain did a show with Crash and I at the beginning of the week on our channel, and mm -hmm. um, we talked about different stuff, and we delve more into the law here. But at the end of the show, we had a talk. And can you tell people for how long you have not worked now? Uh, since August of uh, a little over a year. Well, I have not flown since December 6, 21. Okay. And uh, I've been on unpaid leave since August of last year. Right, right. So a little discussion. over a year. And just like Crash was saying, if you really knew the magnitude of what he's doing, he's standing up against these airlines for the basic duties so many pilots should have and kowtowed. And, you know, he chose to stand with integrity against what was being done, not only to the pilots, but the safety of every passenger out there, because every passenger that's flying is flying with, you know, pilots that are, you know, restricting their oxygen and so forth. And mm -hmm. um, we, you know, I kind of bullied him into <laughs> taking donations. I said, you know. The same thing with James. People have reached out and said, we, we don't know any legal stuff. We don't know what to do. Can we just donate some money? So um, I asked him if he would just set up a donation. And if somebody wants to donate, donate, you know, and you don't have to push it. You don't have to advertise it. But there is a link that he set up or he had his son set up on the pilot gateway to help him with the legal costs because he's not just fighting for himself. He's fighting for everyone. And yeah. If you Google his name, you can find plenty of articles with details. Some of them are skewed and some of them have false information and all that stuff. But um, I would implore you, if you if you can't join a group, if you can't fight in any other way and you can donate something to his cause to help him push this through, because we all want him to win because he's fighting for all of us. Um, yeah. We don't want our country's airline taken over by the communist regime. <laughs> We're going to have to censor this show and probably split it into. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Just God, thank you, God, bless, thank you, God bless you, Justice, for being able to do all that. Uh, thank you, Justice. Um, you're, you're um, so, you know, I, I would just say, how how is what the captain is doing, standing up where, standing on your morals and your principles, 
even though it might be against what, what the law might state or say. Um, and, and, and here's the thing. I mean, there is no law against what, what these people were trying to do. There's no law for it either. But how is this any different than what was going on during the civil rights movement? How is this any different? And please do not take this out of context. I'm not comparing the captain with this individual, but I'm just saying there was a brave woman who refused to sit at the back of a bus because it was morally wrong even though the law said she had to. Actually, it was a teenager. It was a teenager. And exactly. then it, and then she staged it for the publicity. But all props go to the teenager. You know what, Crash? She just <laughs> happened. That, that's it. She's not coming on anymore. I'm She's... Just, that's it. Done. Oh, no. <laughs> James. No. Oh, my. No, I'm just teasing. I love you. I love you. But Crash is amazing with details. He's got an amazing I know, but this like this might the point is the same, right? I mean, yeah. at the the teenager, whoever if it was a different individual, I'm just saying they knew they, hey, this this law is wrong. This right. violates I mean the constitution says all men are created. I mean the Declaration of Independence says all men and women are created equally. So if, if we're all created equal, then why is it that I'm required to sit back there because of something about me? And that, I'm not saying that's Claudette the same situation Colvin. here. Her name Thank is you. Claudette Colvin. Sorry. Claudette Colvin. Thank okay. you. So I, I'm not saying that it's exactly the same because it's not, but the, the principle is the same thing. Exactly. The captain is saying, hold up. You're asking me to do something that violates my principle and my duty to my passengers. I cannot do that in good conscience. And he has been... He was put on unpaid leave. He's now been terminated. Did they terminate? No, um, no, no, I'm still, I'm still employed, but uh, unpaid. One, one step, yeah, one step. Okay. From, but I believe that they are uh, spinning, as some some friend of mine tells me. They really don't know what to do because if they do terminate my employment, then it would be wrongful termination because I refuse to violate a federal law. Yeah, yeah, and they and they, so, they they know they're stuck between a rock and a hard place at this point. That's right. So they're and they can't they're, move they're, forward because they just don't know what to do. Yeah, so they're really just hoping that they can just keep you hanging in limbo where, like you are. Um, you give and up. it's just yeah, and they're, it's just they're hoping that I would just dry up financially and that I would just give up. Yeah, and that's not and uh, and the trouble with uh, you know not not that I'm saying anything other than just stating the fact uh, if you were to go get another job, they're going to have your background check. They're going to mm -hmm. ask American and then mm -hmm. the airline is going to say, what you're looking for a job. You can't, you'll have to get permission from us yeah. and they're going to give me the choice. You either quit or you don't work. Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the game they're playing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's the game they're playing. So that's fine. That's, that's, that's okay. It's, yeah, it's, all right, let's dance. You know, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. I want I want to just clarify one more thing. Sure. Uh, sure. Let's, let's um I'm going to go ahead and give you the last word here, Captain, because we're coming up on the 2 hours mark. So go ahead. Yeah. I just want to want to add that there's that borderline between exercising your right as a as a pilot, right? You're you're just flying your own plane whatever, and then there's that line once you step into the commercial realm, Okay, now you are contracting with the people. Now we're talking about contract. Yeah. Okay, 
And now you have another constitutional right there, and that is to contract. So you're exercising just a different right. But the right to transit is still there. It did not just disappear. Right. Okay. It is just a sub, if you will, a subset of the right to contract. Yeah. And, and as Crash said, you've got to comply with all the rules and regulations. It does not change. So, yeah. uh, <clears throat> so if, and yeah, I'm sorry, just yeah, go. No, go ahead, finish. Uh, I'm done. Okay. Okay. So then let, let folks know, I'm sure there's pilots out there that might want to join you as Crash discussed. I'm sure there's people that might want to reach out to you. How would you like them to find you? Email or um, you are now on Twitter, um, but do you want to share your email for anybody that wants to get a hold of you? Yeah. My email is the uh, medoverlook at protonmail.com. Okay. And you're also and that's, then- that's the one. At, uh, at Captain Saliba. Uh, full on word? Twitter. Is it on Twitter. Word? Okay. Is it full word, Captain, or uh, abbreviation? Uh, no, no. Uh, C-A-P-T. Just abbreviation. C-A-P-T. Okay. C-A-P-T. S-A-L-I-B-A. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. And then uh, so, the website again and, and is pilotgateway.com. That's right. Yep. That's right. Good. It's, it's still under construction. As, as more information <laughs> comes bad. in, uh, I put it up. Yeah. And the, there's plenty of reading in the cases. Yes. So you can sit there for hours reading those things. And uh, as, as hopefully I will have some rulings to post as well yes. soon. But I'll, I'll, I'll be updating the information. It's all educational. I'm not giving any legal advice to anybody. Uh, but it's good to know where you stand and, yeah. and have no fear because fear is what they prey on. Yes, it is. They, they, you know, that's how they get you to consent. Mm-hmm. Yeah through fear and like it's like i said at the beginning of the show when i was um when i was talking about my my case with the property tax suit um if again guys how many times have i said that if you don't know your rights you have no rights if you don't know what those rights are you don't have them and you can't say well i have rights i got rights okay well what what are they i don't know i just know i have rights (laughs) that's not gonna fly yeah okay and it's just like these ridiculous arguments that these attorneys make in these filings And like these, you guys have to remember, like, even though these judges, like in Captain Saliba's case, have have grossly misstated the law and what the constitutional um, prohibitions against interfering with contract state, you got to remember, these guys have been living, swimming, breathing, and dying in the statutory sea. They think that what people write on a piece of paper and that what some other idiot signs into law is gospel truth and that's that's not that that is that is unhealthy for a constitutional republic unhealthy which is why if you ask any politician oh it's a democracy it's a democracy it's like well you have no business being in office if you don't even understand the basic fundamental principles of our government you have no business being in our government so i want to thank everybody for joining us like i said this was a you know a couple hours for this episode but good information really good information Thank you, Crash, for being here. I give you a hard time, but I love having you here. You know, she picks up on my on my sarcasm stuff, which is why I think it worked really well. <laughs> That's the only so, language I speak. Yes, yes. Thank you to you. And again, I apologize. I will never, ever make that a mistake again. Naval Aviator Crash, thank you. Um, <laughs> Captain Cross, again, thank you for being here. Um, so 
just so everyone knows, uh, I'm going to be out this next week. I am uh, headed out of town on a, a much-deserved vacation with the family. Um, we will be back in a couple of weeks. We've got some really good shows lined up. Um, Erica has been throwing out some good stuff, um, some good suggestions. We talked about potentially bringing our kids on <clears throat> and talking about our rights. So that would be a fun show. Um, we've also talked about having some other guests. Uh, one of those guests potentially, this is unconfirmed. We haven't reached out to him, but, uh, uh, Brent Johnson is another individual we're hoping to bring on. He's, uh, he's, a, an author, uh, on the American sovereign. I actually have his book around here somewhere. Um, which is a good book. Uh, he talks about a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Justice posted some stuff recently about some videos that he's put out. Um, we're going to see about potentially that. And obviously, as you guys know, as I have updates in my case or any other cases that we're following, we will post information on that. So. And we also talked about going through um, my sister wants to fight a red light ticket. Oh, that's right. Yes. So we talked about doing a workshop and literally walking her through the process live. So that will be yeah. fun. Yeah, that, and that will be fun because um, there's some good documentation. Alphonse has posted some stuff in his group um, that was put together by Dave Merland. So I'll give the shout out to Dave up in Washington for that it's always good information to know and to have, you know, it's like, what happened? How do we, how do we put the brakes, so to speak, when these guys are trying to pull us into these administrative courts? Well, we do that with our paperwork and our filing. So, and then the cameras are just such a violation of privacy. It is. Right. Yep. So. Yep. yep. It is. There's, there's so many things. I mean, gosh, I, we could spend hours about the fact that these, some of these three letter agencies violate our rights to privacy. Like every time I go through the airport, I'm sitting here thinking Fourth Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fourth Amendment. Mm -hmm. How many but, of them would even be in existence if they were following the bounds of the Constitution? That's right. Exactly. exactly. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of the Blade Runners over in the UK. Me too. Love them. <laughs> if, you, if you guys don't know who they are, there's a group in the UK that is cutting down all the spying cameras on the poles. Oh, good for them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're they're unfortunately take having to take those drastic measures because, you know. But if we don't, if we're not careful. We're headed there next. Yeah, but, just comply our way into into slavery, deeper yeah. into slavery, I yeah. should say. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's it's, it's, that's the only tool we have really is to not comply. Right. And well, what, what 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 have I said before that Benjamin Franklin stated? For those those who give up a little bit of freedom for safety, deserve neither. Deserve it, right? They That's deserve right. neither. Yep. So if you give up your freedoms to be safe, you deserve neither. And that's coming straight from Benjamin Franklin, one of our founding fathers. So yeah. with that, you guys, again, thank you all for joining us. Those of you who are watching us on uh, on our video platforms, please uh, like and share the video. Subscribe to our channels. Those of you on our podcast, please. I don't even know if you like those. I, I have no clue. Yeah, you uh, can. You can like can them. You? Okay, yeah. Like, like our podcast. That helps to get the word out. We're growing, which is good. And thank you all for joining us. Again, we're here to help. But again, if you don't like the help I'm giving, that's your problem. <laughs> not mine. James, he was a troll. He was a troll. I don't care. It makes me angry. <laughs> well, I know. You have such a good heart. and Kava Kava would help with that. That's the last bit of your yeah. energy that the troll gets, James. <laughs> yes. Let it go. All right. Sounds good. Blow it away. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Okay, we everybody. Thank you. God bless Thank you, you James. Justice to everyone. Crash. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you next time. We'll see you. Yeah. Bye-bye.